0: Good morning, everyone. Today is the first of June. My name is Lorna Denny, and I'm joined by Alex Byrne and Asim Kadri. Equity markets were bolstered last week by President Biden's plan to roll out a $6 trillion budget. That includes large-scale infrastructure programs. We've had a surprisingly strong pickup in inflation in Germany for May, largely driven by energy costs, as the oil price is hovering around the $70 a barrel mark again. And in the US, we've had PCE inflation data. What did you make these numbers out? Alex.
1: Morning, Laura. That's right. The PC inflation data came in slightly ahead of target again. Not unexpectedly, I would say, just given what's going on. So we had PCA inflation in at 3.1% with core CPI inflation at 3. So these are two key numbers, which the Fed watches on an ongoing basis, which dictates their decision-making. I mean, the makeup of these is something to be aware of and cautious of because clearly there's a lot of pandemic-related factors that are driving these numbers. If you take some examples, used car prices rose 10% month on month, which is clearly the market restarting and people getting out and about more and spending money on those more disposable, income type purchases as well as that there's clearly the commodities part which is playing a big factor so industrial metals are up 150% since pre-pandemic levels and you've got things like energy which is again more than double the price that they were at pre-pandemic levels so the key question for the market is how much does the Fed care about this overshoot in the short term and how many of these elements are transitory and I guess it really depends on your definition of transitory whether it's just going to be six months or whether this is going to be 18 months because regardless of whether it's transfer or not, if this has a big effect on people's disposable income and how they spend their money, then it still has an effect on how those decisions are made at the Fed
0: certainly stronger rebound style data coming through there. We did also hear commentary in the week from one of the Fed governors about the current inflationary pressures and the Fed possibly talking later in the year about tapering their bond buying programme. Now that would imply tighter monetary policy and yet the US dollar is languishing still at the lows for this year. We can see this very clearly against the renminbi, Asim.
2: Hi Lorna. Yes, that's right. So last week saw the Chinese currency hit its highest level against the US dollar in three years. So the renminbi has appreciated by more than 10% over the last year, and that's due to a number of factors, including China's strong economic rebound, foreign capital flows into the country, and also a large trade surplus. However, because this currency appreciation does pose a potential risk for policymakers, since as I touched upon before, economic growth has been slowing in the first quarter, and a stronger currency would diminish the competitiveness of Chinese exports, a key driver behind the economic recovery from the COVID crisis. Furthermore, policymakers in China have been living to mitigate the risk of asset bubbles and leverage however a stronger currency would make this more difficult since high capital inflows would increase asset price inflation however on the other hand a strong currency would provide us an offset to rising quantity prices which have been a concern for policymakers in china as they could drive inflation so all in all the strength of the currency certainly poses a challenge for policymakers as there are several factors to consider when determining how much intervention to control the currency is warranted.
0: Yes, that's interesting. And if we could stay with you, Asim, but move on to responsible investing, there was a landmark ruling last week in Holland against Shell, the Anglo-Dutch oil giant. Could you talk us through the implications of this?
2: Yes, that's right. So last week, a Dutch ordered Shell to cut CO2 emissions by 45% by 2030, compared with 2019 levels, in line with the Paris Agreement on climate change. So as you mentioned, the decision is seen as a landmark one given Shell has previously pledged to reduce its greenhouse emissions by 20% within a decade and to net zero by 2050. However, the court ruling means that Shell will have to radically quicken its existing climate and divestment policies in order to hit the target And this could have wide-reaching consequences for the rest of the industry and also other corporate polluters. Another key point here is that whilst many other countries like the Netherlands have signed up to the Paris Agreement, companies like Shell were not part of the deal and thus far haven't been bound by national pledges. So, despite this, the court ruled against Shell, and that clearly could be a watershed moment, although Shell have said that they will appeal the decision. So, let's keep our eyes posted on that.
0: Yes, indeed. And these oil diets all seem to be coming under pressure from shareholders as well. Alex, before you move on to the week ahead, could you briefly describe the current COVID situation in Japan, in particular with regard to the imminent Olympic Games there?
1: The situation in Japan hasn't really kept pace with what we've had in other developed markets. So, they've been generally sheltered from. rest of the world they have maintained a very low level throughout the pandemic their kind of consistent average has been comparable to what we had in the uk in the summer last year when there was essentially very little restrictions on it and things were almost back to normal so they haven't really had much of a vaccination drive so far they're only really getting started on vaccination but they've maintained a very, very low level. There's a lot of social compliance. Culturally, there's a big thing about wearing masks. And despite the fact that Tokyo is the most populated city in the world, they've managed to keep very, very low levels. But they have had these state of emergencies, which are kind of akin to a a low level lockdown on for a good period of time now. It's not comparable to what we've had in Europe in terms of the very strict lockdown, but it still has been obviously a hit on the economy and they've lasted longer than people would have expected. But the overall mood in Japan is probably worse than it was six to eight weeks ago. So on the Olympics, the population has been fairly disengaged. The surveys that we've had recently have been something around 75% of people either want to postpone or cancel them again. Firstly, for just the operational side of the Olympics, it's not ideal to try and postpone or cancel these, just given funding and everything that goes into these. But the other thing to bear in mind is what you mentioned around the election so we've got an election during japan in october of this year so clearly the government would have thought that this national drive post Olympics and that kind of passionate empowerment of people will help them retain their position but it doesn't really seem like that's happening going into the Olympics themselves so it's quite difficult one to read we've had the same power in japan for a decade now a fairly new premier, just given Abe's resignation, but the the actual LDP, the, the ruling party, has been in power for over a decade now. So you would have hoped that the Olympics would have helped that, but it seems not to be doing that so far. So it, coming into a, a more volatile period in Japan, which is not really what we tend to have.
0: No, and presumably the LDP having to tread very carefully then in the coming weeks. If we look at this week, it's the first week of the month, always bringing very important macroeconomic data. We have PMI surveys from across the globe, as well as these crucial US unemployment numbers, Alex.
1: Yes, indeed. On full employment, then, that's clearly the Fed's dual mandate. With non-form payrolls this week, we have an expectation of 650,000. That's versus 250,000-ish last month. So clearly a huge uplift. Expectations from some market participants as well that we will actually beat that. Uh, And that also helps the unemployment numbers. So, again, expectations driving down 5.9% unemployment versus 6.1% last month. So, again, this supports this recovery story and story around the Fed and and the potential necessity to talk about taper a little bit more and the driving down stimulus.
0: Indeed. And the expectations for the PMI data?
1: Globally, we've got a lot of PMI data out this week. We have had, I guess, a trend since the latter part of the pandemic that the manufacturing story has been much, much stronger than services, just clearly given what the economies can do. More recently, in these numbers, the expectation is for a much stronger services number. Whilst that manufacturing number stays high, the services are beginning to catch up. So the overall core PMI number, more globally, and particular places especially, is beginning to catch up
0: for services and becoming stronger overall. Yes, we'll watch that with interest. Thank you both very much indeed. Thank you. Thanks, Lorna.